When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. All right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We're still in seventh heaven as Liverpool get ready for a visit to the south coast. We'll get into John W. Henry's comments, looking forward to the transfer window. And with Dortmund out of the Champions League, are we any closer to find out what's next for Jude Bellingham? Alongside me are James Pearce and Andy Jones. And as ever, we're starting with three words. Andy, come on, three words. Back it up. I think I've got to go for because, you know, we all know that as as great as uh, last Sunday was, if they go and lose to Bournemouth, it'll all feel like it was all for nothing. <laughs> James? I- I'm not quite ready to move on from, from last Sunday yet, so I- I'm going to go with uh, Veghorst the Copite. <laughs> oh, cruel, cruel, cruel. I'm going to go with still bleeping giddy. Let's see what they're saying over on the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. Uh, Jeff Cockerell is saying, watching highlights again. Salah, Roberto Firmino. It's in! It's seven! Yeah, I'm there. Uh, Rob Mills, walking on air. Gary Rivers, another seven, please. I like that, I like that, I like that. Ross Priddy. Don't get complacent. Search Walk On Podcasts on Facebook to get involved. So, here we are. We're, what, four days away from beating Manchester United 7-0. And I'm, yeah, I'm still, I'm still watching it. I'm still loving it. I'm still living it, you know. Well, tell me more. You you mentioned a uh, Manchester United playing friend who touched the sign and a, a, a cop hype friend. Tell us more about him, James. <laughs> well, I think Andy Andy probably knows more about him than than I do with his uh, his Burnley links, but uh no, I just I thoroughly enjoyed the um just all, well, all of the fallout really from Sunday and that was a that was a good a good fun part of it that footage emerging of Veghorst touching the this is Anfield sign as as the players came out the tunnel before the game, and you know, you <laughs> you just knew that there was going to be an angry backlash from very angry already Man United fans. That you know, how could he possibly do such a thing? Calls for his loan to be instantly terminated, and then you can you can imagine the PR teams going into overdrive with how are we going to manage this. And then I did also very much enjoy his his statement that. Of course, he wasn't touching the "This is Anfield" sign because you know, out of respect or out of all the history, it was he was just trying to stop his mate Virgil from touching it, and it was <laughs> it was all a big joke. And you know, he was trying to wind Virgil up, and was like, "Okay." It did remind me a little bit of Gerard Houllier's attempts to um, to, <laughs> to when when Robbie Fowler scored against Everton and was sniffing the line and, and said it was a tribute to Rigobert's song. 
Tenny Gaul as this kind of ceremonial, you know, sometimes they do odd things, they dance uh, uh, near the uh, corner flag and they do things. But in France, um, that, the Rigobert songs were very known, you know, to eat the grass and sniff the grass and do that. It was, uh, wasn't quite as, as ridiculous as that. But yeah, I don't think that course is fooling anyone with that. Especially, I think, when there's some, there's some, I saw there were some nice quotes from him from a couple of years ago talking about his admiration for Liverpool and the, you know, the spine-tingling rendition of You Never Walk Alone that he'd heard. So, yeah, when you think... We've had that. We've had. I think Jamie Carragher does, definitely deserves a mention for. Um, he, I think he's been a you know self-appointed chief of the wind-up department this week, and he hasn't missed a well, single. Everyone's everyone's been drinking seven up, haven't they? You know, it's, um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know the classic thing. Went to the pub and can, can I have a seven and seven, please. You know, it's uh, which is normally only ever heard in America, but you know, it's people are doing that all the time. And he, you know, it's uh, we've seen Vegas close up and personal. Let's face it, over the years, lots of players have touched the uh, this is Anfield sign, and because it's kind of iconic, and the professionals, they you know, they kind of love being there in, on on such a big stage. I mean, what's your view of it? Yeah, I mean, it's one of them. I think Vegos, when he when he finally came to Burnley, he was just basically desperate to move to the Premier League and get a chance in the Premier League. So that's sort of how he ended up, at, at barely in a sense. So I think he's just trying to live the Premier League experience, really, and any sort of opportunity he gets to do something or, you know, be linked with something special, I guess, um, he's going to he's gonna grab it. I, I just did find it really funny because I, I, I don't know about you, but I went back and watched it just to sort of see how believable it was. And there is a, there's like a little bit in it where you go, you know, maybe, but then when Van Dyke takes his hand away, I'm sure Vegos then touches the sign afterwards anyway. So it's like, well, you've sort of tried to get away with it, but then you've just touched it anyway. So, uh, and I, I did enjoy John Aldridge's... Um, <laughs> His Twitter post yesterday wiping the uh, the fingerprints off. <laughs> uh, I thought that was that was brilliant. Um, and I think it's one of them. If you touch the this is Anfield sign, um, you've sort of got to go and back it up, haven't you? On the pitch, and uh, I don't don't really think you could say he did he did much in the game to sort of to warrant touching it, shall we say? He has certainly turned himself into a figure of fun. And perhaps we'll be talking about him long after we'll be talking about. Other United players who uh, <laughs> probably have you know better careers. Let's face it, the seven nil and and Vegas are gonna go together like I don't know seven and seven. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> we, we, but we've got to move on for it. We've got to move on for it at some point. You know, you said it, Andy. It doesn't work unless they back it up on the south coast. Unless they beat Bournemouth, then. We're going to be pig sick. And Bournemouth did really well against Arsenal last week, didn't he, James? I think that's the thing. I mean, obviously, supporters and in the media, we can, we've can we obviously made the most of all of the fallout from what was a historic day. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think one of the things that does my head in about modern football is the celebration police and people who's, who have got nothing to do with anyone who's actually involved in a game deciding how a fan of the winning team get somehow they get to decide what is and isn't appropriate in terms of celebrations. And Frankly, I don't care. You know what? Put a video with this out. This yeah. is great. I'm going to watch it again and again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, and I've said people, people have said to me this week, you know, 
it wasn't even a trophy at stake. They weren't even just like Liverpool beat Manchester United seven 0 Like they've been playing each other for 130 years, and neither yeah. of them have ever done that to the other one. So do you know what? Yeah, I think it's fine that in fact it's the the Thursday after, and we're still talking about it. But what I would say is they definitely aren't still talking about it at the AXA trading centre in Kirby. I, I know from working on a piece yesterday where I spoke to a few of the staff that they they, they said that you know literally. Once they left that dressing room on Sunday evening, it was it was you know thoughts had already turned to Bournemouth because they they're not stupid. They know in the position Liverpool are in, there's no free hits at all, is there? They, they, Liverpool have to build on it if they're going to salvage something from this season. Someone said to me that what the players were most happy about on Sunday was they learned they had two days off rather than one after the game because I, I don't think I don't think they've had back to back days off since the debacle at Molyneux. And of course, that was a very different two days off. That was almost a two days off where it was like, I don't want to see you for the next two days <laughs> because I'm just, you know, Klopp said yeah. himself, I thought it was for the best. We just didn't meet up until the Wednesday. But, you know, this is obviously a very, very different thing with, you know, Monday, Tuesday off, spent with their families. They were back training on Wednesday. And and yeah, they, they have to back it up. And, you know, you know, you don't have to look too far back, do you, to, to see that, you know, it, it just doesn't follow that you steamroll a one team and then you, that just leads to an absolute cruise next time out. We saw that when Liverpool met Bournemouth earlier on in the season. You know, dished out that nine-goal hiding. And then, I think, what was the next game? Newcastle at home? You know, it was a, a real scrappy game, last-minute winner with Carvalho. And you know, it wasn't long after that that Liverpool were getting, getting stuffed over in Naples. So um, I've got no doubt that the mindset behind the scenes will be very much, you know, that, that will count for absolutely nothing, what they did to United, if, if they don't back it up. Definitely. It's really, really crucial that they get three points, uh, you know, at Bournemouth. And, you know, remember, Andy, you know, a couple of years ago, won 7-0 at Palace. And then everything went wrong, didn't it, over the next, <laughs> you know, I mean, we had a, a nightmare six weeks after that. Six weeks, two months. Yeah, exactly, um, and that that sort of it, it does sort of stick in the back of your mind, doesn't it? And because uh, I think Liverpool, they struggled to score, didn't they? After that, uh, they went through that that really sticky patch in front of goal, and you think, oh, if only they'd just beat Palace one nil and save them six goals and spread them out over yeah. the next couple of games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I certainly open up thinking. What what I would hope is that Liverpool's sticky period this season is long gone now. Um, and we're <laughs> we're not going to fall back into you know, anywhere near to to what happened a couple of years, a couple of seasons ago, because that would be uh, after what has been an, an incredible high, an extreme low. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you've got to say the thing is, like all season, we've been saying, ah, oh, they lack confidence. You know, they look insecure. They look a bit nervous. You know, particularly in the midfield, and particularly Fabinho. Well, after that performance. If if you lose if you lack confidence, then seriously you need to go and see a psychologist because you know that should be the boost that sends them towards the end of the season. Wouldn't you think so, James? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think when when you look through that team last Sunday, you you did see you know a number of players there who were coming out of really difficult spells, and you think there. I think there is good reason to believe that this resurgence is built on something meaningful and that it's not just one of the, I know we've had a few false dawns this season. I, I, I certainly don't feel concerned or, you know, can they back it up? Because that's been the problem this season. But I think when you look at it now with Van Dijk and Canate as that partnership at the back, you know, 
head and shoulders above any other defensive partnership Liverpool can can put out there. When you look at the two fullbacks, I thought who Andy Robertson, especially up there with his best games for the club against United, and and you think Trent, I think there's been an improvement there. And then you mentioned Tony, the midfield area. You know, Fabino. You know, obviously Andy's written about Fabino today on the Athletic, and him coming out of the the real slump that he's been in has been absolutely crucial to this run of 13 points out of the last 15 because it's pro- that's probably been the kind of one, without wanting to pick on Fabinho, he's probably been the kind of, he almost epitomises Liverpool's collapse this season that almost because he's been so influential for so long and it's difficult to make sense of it because he hasn't had you know, real bad injury problems. He's not 32, 33, he's 29, should be in his peak. And so you look at him now and then obviously the front three who deservedly got a lot of plaudits with the, the havoc they wreaked against United. So you think, you know, come on, surely now it's all set up for the rest of the season. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone at Liverpool would have been too upset at the sight of, of another body blow for Tottenham last night either, because, you know, that's, that's obviously one of the, you know, one of the teams in their sights above them at the minute. And things are clearly aren't all well there with, with Conte's time there looking like it's coming to a pretty sad conclusion. So, um, yeah, Liverpool have got a fantastic opportunity to kick on from it. Yeah, I, I went to get my hair cut yesterday, and when I went into the barbers, they all stopped, and they all, like, put seven fingers up to me. It was brilliant. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's never happened before. You know, it was, they were like, oh, unbelievable. Everyone's still talking about it. And um, these these guys, um, Liverpool fans, they were all excited about it. And why shouldn't we still be excited? Because I'll tell you what, you don't beat Manchester United 7-0 every season. This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The best word I can say but uh, will describe this was boom. Tony Evans here with James Pearce and Andy Jones with Walk On from The Athletic. We've got to talk, really, about the future. We can't continue talking about Manchester United and 7-0. Although, you know what? I'm probably going to be talking about it for the rest of my life. But John Henry spoke to the Echo uh, about investment in the summer and basically said... They're not going to spend a great deal. They're going to do what they normally do. The club has to wash its own face, and they're not going to go mad. Uh, what did you make of that, James? I think a lot of a lot of what John Henry said it was kind of you know there was a degree of repetition in terms of what we've heard previously, and what I think what you'd expect him to say as well, because he reaffirmed the fact that it won't be a full sale, which obviously he'd previously alluded to. He, you know, he talked about you know the search for minority investment, which I understand is is going pretty well. I think they seem they seem happy in terms of potential options that uh, that they've got on that front, and and also you know the stuff about it being in favour of FFP and spending controls. Like we kind of knew all of that. You know, his, his comments probably on the transfer market and squad strengthening are probably probably the ones that. You know, I don't think he said anything new, but I think it just 
it probably kind of resonated because of the posi- position Liverpool are in going into this summer. So, you know, he effectively said, we're not going to change the way we run the club. You know, we talked about, you know, other clubs have gone down unsustainable routes. We will not do that. We will continue to invest wisely, you know, and it has to be responsible, which I guess the response to that, which I can understand is, well, how does that tally with what Liverpool need to do in the market this summer? Because is the self-sustaining business model really going to be able to cough up what need what needs to be done if you know I know we're going to go on and talk about Jude Bellingham but if you're getting Jude Bellingham for 120 million pounds and you probably need at least one I'd say probably two other midfielders you need I think another centre-back and then there's the question of do you need to go and replace Firmino you're looking at 200 to 250 million pounds I think is a conservative estimate and and of course Liverpool don't have you know when you look that's at not it, gonna happen is it that's not gonna happen well I think I think the only way it happens is you know if, if John Henry's saying they're not going to change the way they run the club then that just cranks up the importance of getting new investment in before the summer because you know that's that's what it's going to be relying on you know if, if they do sell I don't know say they sell 10% of the club for 300 350 million pounds then clearly that that releases some serious funds you've also got you know obviously the new Anfield Road development kicking in this summer. You know, you've got the Nike deal bringing in increasing funds. You've got, did a story yesterday on the close to agreeing a new shirt sleeve sponsorship deal with Expedia. The new shirt sponsorship deal with Standard Charter kicks in this summer. So all of those bits help. But of course, you know, it still doesn't really get you up to where Liverpool probably need in terms of investment in the squad this summer. So um, yeah, I think that was my biggest takeaway from it. It was like, okay, well, if it is going to be business as usual, you know, where does that leave Liverpool in terms of what they need in the market? Andy, they, you know, they spent big in 2018. You know, they brought in Van Dijk and Allison and Fabinho and Naby Keita. You know, it um, doesn't strike me they're going to have a, a summer like that. But the thing is, in my conversations with John Henry, he always said to me, he said, if the right players out there will go and get them. And you wonder whether that actually is... Is the right player out there? Is Bellingham the right player? I mean, we saw Dortmund go out of the Champions League at Chelsea this week, and Bellingham didn't play very well. His leg was all strapped up, so you wonder whether he was carrying injury. But you wonder whether money would be more wisely spent on two or three players, because as James rightly said, that midfield needs bolstering, doesn't it? You know, not just with one player. Yeah, it's sort of the... The big decision, if you like, isn't it? It's whether you go out and and sign that that transformative player who, which which Jude Bellingham is, because I think I don't think anyone would would argue with the fact that he's he's going to go on unless you know injuries and things happen um, in a really bad set in in a really bad way for him that you know he's going to be one of one of if not the best midfielder in world football over the next ten years, if you like. So it's whether Liverpool see that as as being the cornerstone of of their team, and you know it'd be very nice, <laughs> certainly if they did go out and get them. But there is that that balance between how do you how do you build your team rather than you know just getting one individual, which which may solve some problems, and probably you know in Bellingham's case will solve a lot of problems because of how good he is. But equally, what you don't want to do is you don't want to put all your chips into into one basket if you like, and and then you're left sort of scrambling around and and you're still not sufficiently stocked in that area because 
you know, what happens if, if Jude Bellingham picks up a, an injury which keeps him off for a couple of months and you've not strengthened further in midfield, but you and that's because you've chosen to do X, but therefore you haven't done, you know, Y and Z, if you like, in terms of what you needed to do in the transfer in, in the transfer market. And and that's sort of the, the difficult position Liverpool have put themselves in because they've not addressed, you know, the midfield for other than Thiago permanently, you know, for, for a number of years. And I think that the other thing is, is is 2018 was was helped by the sale of Coutinho. And I think what we've, we've, we've spoke about this on the podcast, but Liverpool haven't got that huge saleable asset really, unless they'd be selling someone who they don't want to sell. And that that can that's in, that that impacts as well because you know pretty much the the Coutinho money offset the Van Dijk and, and sort of Allison deals didn't he really when when you sort of put it all together and then they were, went on and, and yes they carried on spending but there was a big check coming in the door as well as as checks going out um, and, and Liverpool don't really have that so yeah it is about trying to find that balance because as you know and and, and I think Liverpool do wait and they do look to try and get the right player and. You know, you can't knock them for, for the transfer business that they've done over the years. But it is that that it is that's the big question, isn't it? It's like if if you go and buy Bellingham, how much is left? Because we can all see there's more much more work is needed on this squad. Well, that's the other thing, James. You know, I'd, I'd look at that midfield and you look at the way things have gone. And for years and years, the midfield wasn't a traditional midfield, getting up and down the fields and scoring. You know, it was there to give balance, let the fullbacks roam. And in many ways, Thiago come in a couple of years ago and he didn't really transform that midfield. He's, you know, he's got such a skillful player and his passing's brilliant, but a lot of it side to side. I thought he, like, changed the point of attack from away from the fullbacks and creates, you know, going down the, the, the central areas. But he hasn't really done that. And you wonder whether Bellingham, I wonder whether Bellingham, as a creative midfielder, would actually work in a club midfield in this style of team they're playing whether they'd have to change the style yeah I, th- I think it's an interesting debate I think y- you're right that for a long time under Klopp you know that that midfield unit was very much about control and covering space filling in when the fullbacks bomb forward and and shutting down passing lanes and winning back possession you know and that's why Genie Wijnaldum was so integral to what Liverpool achieved with some of those big trophy triumphs, and and I think I think the thing with what Pep Linders and Jurgen Klopp always talk about is wanting to try and evolve and never stand still and never be too predictable. And I so I think in their heads, the signing of Thiago, it was like, well, now's the time to evolve and and give a different dimension to that midfield with someone who you know is as gifted as Thiago, and you know. I've seen you know, over the last kind of few weeks people saying, "Well, you know, suddenly the midfield's functioning better without Thiago," and I think I think that's a bit unfair because Thiago is also a wonderful footballer to watch at times, incredibly gifted. It's always been a case of getting the balance right in that department that has been the issue. So no, I, I don't I don't watch Bellingham and think would he fit in. I, I actually think he's so gifted and such a complete midfielder, both attacking wise and defensively that I just think he is the future of that midfield if they can do the deal with Dortmund this summer. Because I, I, cause I think they, they want that midfield to change anyway. And you look at, you know, you look at Besetic in terms of, you know, his development, you know, Harvey Elliott as well. You know, it's, 
if you could add Bellingham to that, that is a really, really exciting young trio of, of midfielders there. And of course, you know, we're hoping that Fabino kicks on from where he's at now and has still got a few years left in him. And I think last weekend was probably a timely reminder that Jordan Henderson's also got got things left to offer Liverpool as well. So yeah, no, I, I I think Be- Bellingham, f- for me, I'm 100% fully on board regardless of what it takes. If it takes £120 million, if that is more than half of maybe even two thirds of what they can spend, I, I, I still think he's worth it because I, I think he is that rare a talent. I honestly think if they can do the deal that Fenway will find the money from somewhere. But crucial to all of this, isn't it, is Champions League qualification, Andy. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think Liverpool would still have, you know, the pull of bringing in players even if he didn't have it. But yeah, you're right, it's more on the financial side, isn't it? And and just having that that money coming in that you know, so therefore you can be I guess be a bit more confident in, in what you go and do business-wise in the transfer window because that, that's when it opens it up to taking a gamble, isn't it? Because if you, if you then go and still spend big and it doesn't work and then you're out the Champions League again, this shouldn't be the case for Liverpool because they're too good um, <laughs> for that and they've got too many quality players already in the in the squad to, to have this sort of type of season happen again, I think, provided they, they do add. But I think it, it is important, isn't it? Because, you know, you just you give yourself that buffet but also you open yourself up to just that more revenue and we know how important the revenue is. And I think the other thing is, is, is you look at the Liverpool's wage bill, which was, you know, astronomical, wasn't it, in the latest set of accounts? But you have to factor in of, of how successful they've been and, and the way Liverpool are incentivised. And, you know, some of those those earners have, you know, have moved on and they'll move on again in the summer. And you're probably bringing in, if you're bringing in younger talents, you would think, probably on less wages and, and Liverpool obviously haven't been as successful as they were last season in terms of the number of games they played that get into competitions, winning cups. Um, so that that might, you know, shift as well in, in a sense. But yeah, it, it all does, a big part of it is, you know, the Champions League money and, and that feels essential for Liverpool to go out and spend the type of money that A, we hope they do and B, they need to. It is a good point in terms of the wages because I think, yeah, you know, Cater, Oxlade, Firmino, you know, I think that they're, you know, and, and Arthur Mello absolutely nailed on. We're waiting to find out what James Milner decides to do. But if, yeah, what's that? If those five together, you're probably looking at 600 grand, maybe even more than that a week combined, maybe up to even 700 grand. So you're talking, that's some, that's a serious, serious amount of, amount of cash. If you're, you know, two and a half million a month. What's that? You're talking about you're probably 20. Uh, this is a test of my maths here, but twenty-five to thirty million pound a year, I think. I think that roughly probably equates to. So yeah, that, you know that has to be factored in to the mix. I mean, it's not it's not ideal, is it, when when you lose assets for nothing? But I think you, you have to judge them all individually, don't you? And you think, well, Firmino, you know, as as we touched upon in the last pod, I think it does feel like the right time. I think you also have to judge it against well, what did you pay for him, and what have you got? out of him really I think to, to judge it and I don't think any anyone could possibly question that Liverpool have got their money's worth out of that 29 million pound they paid Hoffenheim you know Oxley Chamberlain a, a different you know a very different case because obviously he had that horrific knee injury which I don't think he's ever been the same player since you know, he, we've only seen kind of little flashes of, of what he could do since he he joined from from Arsenal, and you know. But again, you wouldn't. It wouldn't make any sense to renew his contract. And Cater obviously divides opinion. 
But again, you know, that that's probably the one where you think fifty two point seven five million pounds, you know, he's never been able to live up to that. And someone who's still in terms of age wise should be should be still you know, approaching the peak of his career. The fact he's leaving for nothing having cost so much, that's probably one you look at. But again, I can understand why Liverpool haven't made him the kind of offer that he couldn't refuse because I don't think he's consistently offered enough to to warrant that. But yeah, that you, you can't really underestimate the importance of you know of, of that in terms of freeing up funds that can be can be pushed elsewhere this summer in terms of the wages. Yeah, and I, I, I think there's no real case for keeping Cater, and it's strange that he divides opinion because he's he he hasn't done it. You know, it's as simple as that. You know, we've got to be. You know, we've got to be truthful about that. This is a player we expected big things from. It wasn't given us it. This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Liverpool have hit nine. We want 10 is the chance, tumbling down the cup. This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic, with me, Tony Evans, James Pearce and Andy Jones. And we're looking forward to the game at Bournemouth. It, it's a crucial game. Bournemouth did really well against Arsenal last week. And they've, been, they've actually played quite well. And Liverpool need to keep up the momentum. I mean, four wins from the last five games without conceding, which is pretty good. This is the last game going into the international break. And when we come out of it, it's Man City away, Chelsea away, and Arsenal's home. Oh, yeah. 3-7 nils there, if you ask me. Andy, this, this one, though, feels really bigger than you'd normally expect when you're playing Bournemouth. Yeah, definitely. I think... Even just when you when you reel off those three fixtures there, I think in, in the position Liverpool are where they're still chasing to get into that top four, I think what you don't want to do is is you know leave points on the table if you like, especially with those games coming up because they're all tricky fixtures and you know there's no guarantee that Liverpool come out of them with, with nine points like we'd hope. So, you know, what you what you don't want to do is you don't want to have the gap and then potentially come on the international break and that gap might extend further because you are playing in City and Arsenal, the two best sides in the league. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's why it feels more important because I think it feels like Liverpool have definitely got to get these three points. They've got to put themselves in the best position, A, going into the international break, but B, for, for when they come back out of it. And I think confidence is a massive thing. And I know, you know, they, they've still got the, the trip to the Bernabeu as well. But I think league-wise... You know, you, you want to be going into the international break on high. I think every player will tell you and, and every manager and every fan 
when you lose that last game before the international break, it doesn't half make that next two weeks feel like it goes for on for about two years. And I think with the confidence and the, the momentum Liverpool have built up, which you mentioned in terms of you know thirteen points for the last fifteen in the league and five clean seats on the bounce, you know four out of five wins. You just want to keep that rolling and keep it rolling, and you don't want anything to sort of provide a bit of a speed bump if you like, and and just knock that. So yeah, it, it does feel really really important because. Liverpool won't play in the league for a long time after this one. And uh, what you don't want to do is you don't want to put unnecessary pressure on on the likes of Man City away, where I think, well, obviously we'd all like to win, but it's a type of game where if you get a point out of that, you go, okay, then that's that's fair enough. But suddenly that doesn't become the case if you don't if you don't go and beat Bournemouth because Tottenham might extend the gap further and then suddenly you're, you're back where you've 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 done a lot of hard work to get within reach of Tottenham. What you don't want to do is then in in four games time find yourself, you know, seven points back again because you know you've you've come up against it. You've come into a really difficult set of fixtures. Um, so that's why this one feels important. It's a, it's a it's a fixture that Liverpool should should always win. I think that that's 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 the key, isn't it? And and you just need to go and do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just just looking back, and I think the, the last three times I've been down there to watch Liverpool. We've won four nil, four nil, and and three nil, and, and there's you know, there's absolutely no reason why Liverpool can't maintain that that kind of sequence. So they you know they you have to go back to when I think it was just before Christmas 2016 when when Carius was was chucking them in um, when when Liverpool last didn't didn't win down at Dean Court. So um, I, I know it sounds stupid, but it is just that thing about the lunchtime kickoff on a Saturday because because it's such a rubbish time to play football. Twelve thirty on a Saturday. That like games do just have a habit of being a bit flat, and you just don't want it start. You don't want to start like that. You don't want to give them encouragement. You you don't want to make you know make the kind of sloppy mistakes that that give them heart really. So um, I'm sure that's something that Klopp will be absolutely banging into his players. The the fact that you know yes, it's not Manchester United. Yes, it's not an absolutely vociferous Anfield. But you have to impose yourselves on the game in a similar way, and there can be no excuses, can there? With you know, a couple of days off, back in training since Wednesday, I, I, I think as well. It, I think it's quite nice the fact that there's a decent gap between this one and the Bernabeu on Wednesday night, because I don't think I don't think for a minute there'll be any any link to the team he picks in terms of holding anyone back for Real Madrid, because I think I think there's a big enough gap there in terms of recovery and travel and all the rest of it. Um, and, and in Liverpool's position, they can't. I don't think they can afford to prioritise anything. You could even make a claim that with, with the mountain Liverpool have got to climb in the in the, the Champions League, that, that that Bournemouth is you know just as important, if not more important, in terms of maintaining that momentum going into the international break. Sometimes when you go to Bournemouth, it's such a, a such a small little ground that it almost has that kind of cup tie feel to it. And yeah, what you don't want to what what don't you don't want to do is you just you just don't want to start slow, which obviously we've talked about previously has been has been an issue earlier on in the season. Yeah, well, again, the difference a month makes you know losing at Wolves and then to where we are now, it's it's night and day, isn't it? So with them not conceding the, the, the way they're playing, you know, a, a month ago we were talking about. Score the first goal, score the first goal, don't concede, don't concede. That's kind of changed. So that's, uh, th- there's been a, there's been a massive shift in the way, well, well, the way they're approaching games and the way they're actually starting them. But it is 
vital, vital that they go and establish control early at Bournemouth, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's you know that's what you know Liverpool teams under Klopp have have done so many times. They they were able to go away to whatever venue, whatever atmosphere, and event and you know take control of proceedings. And James thought about me, me you know it's half twelve, and I hope they are awake, especially if Bournemouth kick off first, um, because we don't want them doing yeah. what they did to. Uh, to Arsenal against us, that would be the worst possible start. But yeah, it is. It's, it's about getting that control, isn't it? And, and Liverpool's mentality and the confidence has has shifted, as you say, and they look more assertive and more assured in games. And it's still, you know, it's still not spot on. You know, it's it's still not at, at the levels we've we've come to know it in terms of Liverpool being able to get a grip on the game and give the opposition absolutely nothing. But it was never going to just click back into place like that. It was always going to be building it up and. I think what Liverpool are doing is that they're getting small parts of the game right, which are then is then leading towards the big part, which is the result. And, and it's right, it's it's not conceding that first goal, it's keeping clean sheets, it's minimising opposition chances. Because um, I think the way Liverpool play, they're always going to give the opposition an opportunity to sort of potentially get on the break or create one or two things. But it's about the type of quality of chance and what Liverpool have done is very much, unless they've... Like in, in the Palace game with a gift, um, the Palace plays the ball in the box basically. Um, what they have done is is when they've sort of the opposition have come forward, they've still been in a decent defensive position, and and the chances aren't, you know, high high quality, which maybe they've been given away earlier in the season. And I think that's important. It's just about being on the front foot. I think we spoke about this on on the podcast many times, but Liverpool have not felt like they've been on the front foot enough in games, especially in away games, which is why their away form has been so poor. You know, this season, teams have been able to be on the front foot and get on top of them. Um, And Liverpool haven't been able to wrestle back control because they've not been at the levels they have in the past. So I think it's it's important to get there and, and stab with authority on the game early. And then that should, if they get control, that's when you hopefully, you know, your attacking players and your fullbacks come into the game and, and they begin to dominate and create and, and hopefully we see another goal fest. Well, yes. And what we want is lots and lots of goals. Let's make the 7-0 against Manchester United the template for the rest of the season. That would be brilliant. Roll over Bournemouth and then the red wave goes through Madrid and we'll talk about that in the next podcast. But that's it. From Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James and Andy, and you as well for joining us. Remember to get involved in the Walk On podcast group on Facebook. Just search Walk On Podcasts and go from there. We'll be back on Monday, and we'll be talking about the Bernabeu. We'll be talking about Madrid. We'll be talking about one of the most remarkable turnarounds in the history of the Champions League, because we've seen them before, and we want to see it again. The Athletic.